A pastor wrote into me, and he was asking a question about a gossiping church member. The church member was gossiping about him. And I was thinking, this is the first time that has ever happened in the history of the church. Therefore, this is a monumental letter he is writing to me. And so I wanted to write out an article. I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to share it with you, perchance, somebody else in in the church, in church history, gossips. There's another person. Now, part of this story is true. A pastor did write to me. He had a gossiping church member talking about him in an uncharitable way. The other part's not. Of course, you know it's not. Uh, Gossip's here to stay. We're fallen people living in a community. We communicate, and we communicate imperfectly. Therefore, we're going to communicate in ways that are disparaging, denigrating, uncharitable ways. We are going to gossip. I'm not giving license. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I'm speaking as a, a realist, and we will continue to do this until Jesus returns. Therefore, when this pastor wrote this note that I'm going to share with you, now I have flattened it out completely. It is anonymous as well, and so you'll not know who it is, where it came from, or who he is talking about. But what he said is very important, and there are several angles to this particular idea of gossiping about a pastor in a local church, and you, even though you might not be in ministry, might not be a pastor, it will help you because there's some pieces here that you can apply to your family, you can apply to your work, or wherever your primary spheres of context are, you will be able to benefit from this podcast. Welcome so much to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you for listening, and if you want to read this, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website. The title of the article is How to Respond to the Gossiping Church Member Who Wants More. And what I mean by wanting more, he wants the pastor to work more. And as I share the letter in just a moment, you will understand what the title of the article means. Now, first of all, let me, as I roll into this, I want to start with three questions specifically because I want you to get your mind around this idea of gossip because you have been on the receiving end of gossip. I imagine you have, or at least 99.9% of the people who are listening right now. And so question number one, we'll go easy to hard. Have you been on the receiving end of gossip? Question number two, a little bit more difficult. How did you respond? And it's important that you be able to take the time to assess yourself. Sometimes when people do something to hurt us, like say, Gossip would be so focused on them that we truly do miss the log in our eye, and we can miss a golden opportunity in this sin event. And so when someone gossiped about you, if that is true, then how did you respond? And then the more difficult question, perhaps, as you assess your response, what does your reaction reveal about your walk with the Lord? One of the most challenging relational opportunities is when someone gossips about you. And when it happens, there are several options for you to consider. In some situations, you can overlook it. And I want to talk about overlooking it because that may be a possibility. But then in other times, you have to do the heavy lifting. You have to enter into the fray and do the messy work. And I want to talk about some different parts, elements to this idea of doing the messy work. But first, let me share with you what the pastor wrote, the anonymous pastor, in a flattened out email, uh, but it is uh, it's, it's nonfiction. It is, it is a true email, a true story. He said, Rick, recently someone said a church member was not happy about how much time I spent working for the church. 
They thought I should be at every function, potluck dinners, bowling nights, car washes. They have a traditional view of how to do church. The traditional view, a traditional view, is that the pastor does everything. He shows up at everything. He's omni-man. Now, this is a problem. I mean, it's an obvious problem, but it's not so obvious to everyone. The pastor goes on to say, they don't seem to understand what is involved with caring for my family or the amount of time it takes to care for the never-ending, behind-the-scenes things involved in running a church. This individual is not the first person to complain about how I pastor. It seems 50 to 60 hours a week is not enough for them I think if I talked to them, they would understand. What do you think, concerned pastor? Years ago, before I I started doing this ministry, I was hired to work at a local church to start a counseling ministry, which I did. It's the church that I attend now. And I, I remember thinking about how excellent and refreshing it would be to be on staff, to be a staff member at a local church. I thought about the blessedness of hanging with a handful of believers who love God, sitting around all day praying, studying our Bibles, talking about the goodness of the Lord, hallelujah. And then they hired me. And within a few weeks of being with the team, my thoughts changed dramatically. Finding time to pray, to read, to fellowship with friends, well, it was more challenging post-hire before they hired me. And I wondered, honestly, I wondered if I would ever be able to study and pray. You see, people on a church staff, they understand what I'm saying. Sometimes there's just a situation where you just have to be there to understand. You have to walk in their shoes. This is one of those moments. High demands, never-ending relationship messes to clean up. And a local church's ongoing administrative needs, it can suck the spiritual life out of anyone. And I think many of you know that the fallout rate among church workers and pastors, it is exceptionally high. Working in a church environment is part of the helping profession. Any person who has worked in a helping profession, they understand the tensions, the stresses. Those who do not, they may not ever realize what these folks have to juggle on a day-to-day basis. Every person who gives their lives helping others will have to come to terms with the hardships. And there will always be unappreciative people who say unkind things from their limited perspectives. And so my hat goes off to anyone who works in a church environment and is doing it the right way. These people are there because they love God and others more than themselves. Their primary mission in life is to serve others. The pastor who wrote to me is one of those sacrificial lovers of souls. He did not go into the ministry to be famous or rich. If you're thinking of a church uh, staff member or pastor, leader, the janitor, it doesn't matter who the person is. If you have that person in mind and they're doing a good job, then I just appeal to you. Send them an email. Send them a card. Call them. Talk to them on Sunday morning at your church meeting. These people are doing it well. They're not here to be famous or rich. The ministry is not a wise career move for those who strive with selfish ambition, seeking fame and and fortune. And, and whether that's inside of a church or a parachurch organization like what uh, I operate here. Now, I know that some of you can think of two or three folks who are in the ministry for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I can probably come up with a name or two myself. But these few bad apples, they do not represent the main. 
Sadly, social media is a fertile ground for talking about our imperfections while creating stereotypes that speak to our worst flaws. Celebrating the good ones. It's not as sensational, even though these folks are the pictures of the gospel. This lifestyle that I'm describing to you, frenetic lifestyle, working, multitasking at such a high level, it's the heart of church work. People generally go into ministry work because they desire to help others. And so I applaud any pastor for his desire to serve others for their good and God's glory. All of us should desire to emulate these attitudes and actions among our families and friends. I praise God for these soldiers of the cross. But then you have some church members who speak uncharitably about their pastor. And so this pastor says that he wants to go and talk to the gossiping church member. That might not be a bad idea. His reasoning is is that he hopes that he can help them to understand what he does day to day. And perhaps they would have ears to listen to a clear presentation of a day in the life of a pastor. But before he does that, I would have I have two things I want him to consider before he goes off and talks to this individual or the other ones. He says there's more than one. And so these people who are gossiping, speaking uncharitably about him. Thing number one, I want him to know, to remember, consider the gossiper was not talking to him. And then number two, the gossiper was talking about him. Now, you can apply this to yourself. If someone gossips about you, well, they weren't talking to you, but they were talking about you. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus said, out of the heart flows our words. And so the words I'm describing here is gossip, uncharitable communication about another individual. Those are the words that means There is a heart issue. As we train our mastermind students, we talk often about listening at two levels. You hear what they say, but you know that it is rooted in their heart. That means this gossiper's way to talk about an issue points to potential character flaws. Anybody who will talk about someone uncharitably but not share the same things with the individual, well, they have integrity issues, among other things. Minimally, it means the pastor is working from two different pages. And this is why I'm giving a mild warning here that, yes, it could be a good idea to go and talk to the person and share with them a day in the life of the pastor, But first, remember, you're operating on two different planes. This person has character flaws. They have integrity issues. Some of the traits that describe the gossiper could be such things as ignorance. They don't have the full story. They don't know what this pastor does on a day-to-day business. They're obviously speaking out of ignorance. Foolish choices. They made a foolish choice to gossip to someone about someone. They have ulterior motives. I don't know what altogether what they are, but that's not a biblical motive. There's probably some anger issues. Could be an insecurity. These are just some of the things that's going on in the heart of a gossiper. It's vital to know this because you can't have a heart-to-heart conversation with a proud person. A humble person will misspeak. A humble person will speak uncharitably, may even gossip. 
but you will know this by their response to your reconciliation attempts. You see, we Christians don't hold each other to perfect speaking standards. That's not realistic. We're fallen people living in a community. We communicate. We communicate in fallen ways. And so nobody is held to perfect speaking standards. And so you want to discern the kind of person you are pursuing. Do they want redemption? Or are they doing something else like sowing discord? Sometimes it's just straight up immaturity speaking. They failed the perfect speaking standard, but you can speak to this person. Other times you can't. Therefore... He wants to go talk to them. I say discern the middle ground between an episode, someone just speaking in a way that they shouldn't, but it's not who they are, and then a person who has a pattern of communication, of gossiping and showing, uh, sowing divisiveness in a church body in this case. And if this latter case is true, uh, then it could prove futile to go and talk to them. You may have to try something else. Now, I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but you need to factor in the considerations that I'm laying before you. There will always be people who will not have the courage or the grace to talk face-to-face with the person with whom they have a concern. Just imagine if half of these people had this kind of class. It would resolve a remarkable amount of friction in any community. And so perhaps, rather than the pastor going to the individual, maybe the first action would be to ask the person who heard the gossip to go and talk to the gossiper. Since he was an unsuspecting bystander, it might prove useful for him to follow the Matthew 18.15 outline by going to the sinning brother. If your brother offends you, you go to him, you share it with him, and maybe you can win your brother. And if this gossiper repents... Well, perhaps then you can have the gossiper go to the pastor. You see, if the pastor goes, another issue that you want to factor in here is that the gossiper, especially if he's a proud person and not really after reconciliation and redemptive things, ideals, well, then he could be ticked off at the person that he gossiped to. And now there'd be two conflagrations, uh, the one that he has with the pastor and now the one that he has with the middleman. And so it may prove to be better to send the person who heard the gossip in the first place back. Personally, I prefer that in most cases. Now, you want to lead the receiver of the gospel, uh, of the gossip, rather. You want to lead him through a hope-filled reconciliation process. Let me give you three ways to think about that. The first thing that I would want to do is to instruct him on how to handle such things if, if it ever happens again. If someone came to me and shared gossip that someone shared with them, I would want to find out how they responded to it. Did you confront them? I really want to walk through how they interacted with the gossiping person because I want to envision and equip them. I want to make them a help make them a better Christian so they can be deployed and do redemptive work more effectively. And so one of the things that you want to address with this person who is the receiver of gossip is you want to instruct them on how to handle these things. Now, number two, I would appeal to him to go to the gossiper. His objective would be to motivate the gossiper to speak, to reconcile the situation with the bystander, and then also reconcile the situation with the pastor. So I would instruct him about how to handle these situations, and I would appeal to him 
to go and talk to the gossiper. And then I would encourage him to follow up with the gossiper to make sure that the gossiper has followed through with what you instructed him to do. Now, I have been in this situation more than one more than one time. I, I remember someone gossiping about our lead pastor one time, and I told him, I said, hey, you just brought me into a problem that I was totally unaware of, and so now I'm part of the problem, therefore I have to be part of the solution. And James says in 4.17, if you know, know to do good and you don't do it, then it would be sin. And so now the gossiper has splattered on me, and I can't let that go. And so I confronted them right on the spot. I did tell them that, you know, we've got to fix this now. So if what you're saying about the pastor is true, in this case, they were saying the pastor had problems. If this is true, then we got to address it because we want to serve our brother. We want to serve the pastor. If it's not true, then you're speaking uncharitably, you're gossiping, and that is a problem. So one way or the other, we got to have a conversation. I went back to them later. They had not followed through. Therefore, I went and talked to the pastor, and then we all met to work on reconciliation. And so you could overlook it. You could go to them and talk to them directly, or you could send the person who was the innocent bystander. Now, there's another consideration that you really need to address when someone speaks uncharitably about you, and that is our universal potential struggle with the fear of man. The fear of man hinges on two opinions. The two opinions are, what does this gossiping person think about me? What does God think about me? Those are the two opinions. And which opinion has more power over you will be the controlling opinion. The only opinion in the room that should ever matter primarily is God's opinion of you. And if that is not the case, then your reconciliation efforts, they could be motivated wrongly, your approach could be wrong toward the gossip gossiper, because you will not begin with gospel-centered intentionality. And so one of the things you have to do is guard your heart specifically in this area of the fear of man, because it does hurt. It does sting. There can be a, a temptation to want to defend yourself, and you might not have reconciliation as a top priority because you're managed somewhat by what other people say about you. And so two questions that you have to struggle with and again, fear of man hangs on this tension of two opinions, competing opinions. Here's question number one. Am I more concerned about what God thinks about me, or am I more concerned about what others think about me? And where you land on this question, well, that's going to determine how you think about the person who gossips about you, and maybe it will impact any reconciliation efforts if you move toward any of them. Now, if you're not sure how to answer these questions, well, I have three more that will help you to examine your thoughts about this idea when someone says something that, that stings you a little bit. Question number one, and again, if you have someone that you could talk to about this, this could be a fantastic growth opportunity. Question number one, are you more concerned about your reputation, how others view you, or what others may think about you? Be honest, 
with that. We all struggle with this to some degree. We're not impervious to Adam's fallenness. We're fallen too, and we can have reputational aspirations or desires or want people to think about us a certain way. So are you more concerned about your reputation, how others view you, or what others may think about you? Question number two, when you hear about a person who is talking unwisely about you, are your main thoughts along the lines of restoring him or reacting sinfully toward him? When a sin event happens, our first call to action is to look upwardly, think upwardly, focus vertically, knowing that God is in this somehow, and there's an opportunity before me, rather than moving horizontally and maybe saying something untoward toward that individual. And so when you hear about a person who is talking unwisely about you, are your first primary thoughts along the lines of restoration, because you want to be part of God's restoration team. Question number three, are you more about defending yourself or helping the immature person? So we have been talking about a person, I've been talking about a person who gossips, I uh, talked about the possibility of overlooking the thing. I've appealed to you to consider the source. If this is a habituation with them, you need to know your gossiper. Uh, you might not be able to speak to them because they speak to a fool, don't speak to a fool, and the person's proud. Uh, it's going to be a little more difficult talking to them. It could be that you send the person uh, who heard the gossip back to clean it up or start the cleanup process. Honestly, as I said, I, I like that approach most all the time. And then I talked about guarding your heart because fear of man, it's a thing, and we can be desirous of defending ourselves or reacting in a, a way that doesn't honor Christ, especially if we care too much about our reputation and how others view us. Now this next and last section as I wrap up the podcast, I want to talk about envisioning the church. In the note that the pastor sent, he said that there, this gossiper is not the only one, that there are others who have said similar things, and so that is an important statement in his note. Also, the actual issue that he's talking about, he's talking about a church worldview that believes that the pastor should do everything, and so the gossip is one thing that you want to reconcile and you want to work through with the individual, but there is a macro issue here about how the church does church or how the people perceive church and what they expect from the church, specifically the pastor. And so let's say that you do overlook the offense. Let's further surmise that you do not struggle with the fear of man. If you don't struggle with the fear of man, then you are a free person, untethered from how others view you, a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, Bible-guided, liberated person. That is crazy freedom right there. And if this is you, then I appeal to you not to forget what happened. Yeah, I said it. Don't forget what happened. It doesn't control you. You have a humble heart toward the person who did it. Well, now you need to remember what the person said. I mean, remember what they said. You have a tremendous opportunity in front of you to envision the church. He's not the only one, the gossiper. Other people think this way. There is a worldview in play that they expect the pastor to be omni-man. 
And that is a traditional church view. It's an old school church view where the preacher does everything. He has to visit everyone, make all the house calls, show up at all the meals, be at all the functions. He does everything. A church that believes their pastor should be omni-man is a church that won't grow, the people won't mature, and sin will create a stranglehold on the body. And that could be what's happening in this church because of this faulty worldview. And of course, in addition to won't grow, people immature and creating a stranglehold, the pastor's going to burn out or he'll find another place to serve. And so there is an upside to this sin event, and the upside, as he works through reconciliation with the gossiper, to envision the church because apparently there needs to be a worldview shift. And so I want to give you five envisioning contexts that the pastor has to help the church to begin to change how they think about the pastor, how they think about doing ministry. The first envisioning context is the pulpit, preaching. Let me give you an illustration. If I were preaching on Jesus, feeding the 5,000, I would make an application point to talk about how Jesus did not do all the work, but the disciples distributed the food Jesus couldn't do it all in his humanity. He was not omni-man. He wasn't 99% man, 1% God. No, he set aside. He was 100% humanity, hypostatic union. Jesus believed in a team concept. The church is part of the team. The body is part of the team. And they should be busy doing the ministry's work. A steady stream of pulpit messages could reinforce this worldview. And so in addition to reconciling with the gossiping person and fixing that little mess, you have an opportunity to actually speak to what the person was gossiping about because they are communicating. They have an improper view of how church should happen. And so find your envisioning context and get after re-envisioning the church in a better church worldview. One of those contexts is preaching. Number two, personally, on a personal level. The pastor has an opportunity to equip the person who has been on the receiving end of this gossip. It is a ready-made situation for the pastor to equip a saint to do the work of the ministry. Look for those micro-moments like this and use them to elevate the team ministry worldview of the church. And as you look around and interact with church people, you can engage them one by one personally and envision them equipping them to do the work of the ministry number two uh, number three leaders preaching as a context personal one-on-one discipleship as a context your leadership talk with the leadership team about the gossip though the gossiper said it in the wrong way to the wrong person is there any truth in what was said Some pastors sometimes dismiss this kind of stuff out of hand, and they don't look for the truth inside the improper communication. Your leaders should come alongside you in a helpful discussion, not a rubber-stamping discussion, about your role in the church. 
You can also equip the team about gossip, the functions of a pastor, how to model a full-body ministry, and God's call on your life to take care of your family. Jesus had many closed-door envisioning meetings with his 12 friends. Go and do likewise. Envisioning context, the pulpit, do it personally. Leaders, number four, counseling. Preaching counseling perspectives to the church is an excellent idea. It's not the pastor's job to do all the counseling and evangelism. You want to equip the body to do counseling or do discipleship. This opportunity to make disciples is every Christian's duty. It's a straightforward message to preach counseling ideas because every book in the New Testament communicates body-to-body ministry, become familiar with the one another's and make practical applications to your church and equip your leaders to do similarly. And that's point number five, equip. Teach your leaders how to care for others. Some of your leaders should be conducting training classes on counseling or discipleship workshops. Release them to your church by affirming their gifts to help others and placing them in context to do so. If your leaders are not disciple makers, you may want to rethink why they are in a leadership position. And so, and there's more here uh, at the end of this podcast. I don't have time to finish it all, but you can read it plus dip into the call to action because there's some good questions about gossip there. So there are two parts, how to interact with gossip and then how to listen to the gossip. Get inside the gossip and find the nuggets of truth that are there. This person sinned, but inadvertently he was communicating an improper worldview, which is the pastor's call to say, hey, we've got two problems here, a sinning brother who is highlighting something that I need to address in my church because they have the wrong view of who I am. So I'm going to equip them to do the work of the ministry. The title of the podcast, How to Respond to the Gossiping Church Member Who Wants Me to Do More.